Rami's Age Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Rami Zaid Show, where I just did a very bad impression of Matthew McConaughey's. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> welcome to the Rami Zaid Show, everyone, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. My guest today is Shannon Nash, an unbelievably diverse background. Shannon has been an accountant, a tax manager, a lawyer, a film producer, an executive at the Debbie Allen Dance Academy, a chief operating officer, a chief accounting officer, a Zumba and UGM fitness instructor, and now the Chief Financial Officer with Reputation.com. Shannon and I discuss diversity, autism, career and life pivots, and more. If you've ever felt like you couldn't do something, or were too late for it, or whatever pathetic excuse you can think of to not do something, please listen to this show. This was a fun conversation for me, and I know you listeners will enjoy it. That said, here is my conversation with Shannon Nash. This episode is brought to you by Cleanse On The Go. As potential sponsors approached me to advertise on my podcast this past year, I made a conscious decision to only bring on sponsors I absolutely believe in, and Cleanse On The Go is just that. A cleanse for me had nothing to do with weight loss, although it does that as well if that's what you're looking for, but more of a mental reset. I love the two-day cleanse option they have, but you have the choice of either a one, two, or three-day option to cater to your needs and wants. The beauty of Cleanse on the Go is its mobility. As most of my loyal listeners know, I absolutely promote a healthy eating and exercise lifestyle. But I'm a single dad, two kids, working 24-7, so to say I'm a bit busy is a ludicrous understatement. Cleanse on the Go is super easy to use. They're just small packets you mix with water. These small packets can fit easily into purses or pockets and are great for travelers, busy lifestyles, or embarrassingly lazy lifestyles if that is you. As a listener to the Rami Zaid Show, you can get 17% off your order if you go to their website. It's simply cleanseonthego.com, one word. Pick the cleanse you want, and under discount code, just type in my first name, Rami, R-O-M-Y, and you'll receive 17% off. Do it. You'll love it. Now let's get back to the Rami Zaid Show. Shannon Nash, welcome to the Rami Zaid Show. Hey, Rami. I'm looking forward to it. This will be fun. So you're sitting here today, and... You have an undergrad degree in accounting, a JD law degree from the University of Virginia, and now you're a chief financial officer for reputation.com, which we'll get into later. But getting up to this point, your life and career, and I've done my research, is so diverse and interesting. It's unbelievable. And let's start with a fun thing that I dug up in that you used to work for Debbie Allen at the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. I did. I did. So Miss Allen, as we call her. I wanted to tell the listeners, though, on if you don't know who Debbie Allen is, listeners, you're living under a rock, first of all. But Debbie <laughs> Allen's an actress, singer, dancer, choreographer, uh, director, producer, and she's probably most famous for her choreography in the film and television series Fame. 
at that point of your career, and again, your career is so diverse, we'll get into, you had been a tax manager, an attorney, and then you landed at Debbie Allen. So please let the listeners know how that happened. Yeah. So, so first of all, Debbie is amazing. Still consider her to be a mentor and I learned so much about her from an operational standpoint. You're right. If you were, if you were of a certain age, you would know her from the TV show Fame. If you're of another age, a whole new generation of folks know her. Like my kids know her from Grey's Anatomy. She, she not only directs it, but she also acts on the show. Um, she also acts on this show called SWAT, which is like a reboot of like the SWAT shows from like, I think the 70s or whatever. So a lot of people know her in another generation from those type of things. But she's so much more than that because she taught me about really what it meant to be an operator and an owner and how that really is where like true wealth is grants built and, and true influence is built. So I learned a lot about that from her. But how I got there is like many things in life. And I'm sure we'll talk about this since you've done your research. It's not planned. It's not what was the goal. It just kind of when luck and opportunity and preparation all meet each other, it happens. And for me at that point in my life, I had been working at a big public company, um, Amgen, a biotechnology company. I had just gotten back from, I'd done an expat assignment over in Switzerland with Amgen and had just gotten back to the United States and had some, just quite frankly, things going on in my personal life that basically my son had been diagnosed with autism. He was still pretty young and I had to make a career change just to be able to... Um, deal with a lot of the, the therapies and, and things going on in his life. I still want it to work, but I needed to work in a way that, you know, it's hard to be at a big company and say, I'm only going to work from like noon to like six o'clock every day. Right, and right. that works. Uh, it, it's hard to have that. And certainly we're talking quite a while ago. Uh, certainly companies didn't have those type of flexible schedules. Uh, they may have them now. And so um, the opportunity to work from Debbie came along because she was running an organization and in, in, which is a Debbie Allen Dance Academy, which is a big organization that does dance training, touring, all of those type of things. She also has a number of business entities and she was looking for some help with some audits. And somebody knew her, somebody knew me, they knew that I was transitioning and said, you should just talk to her. And I'm thinking to Debbie Allen, actually, to, <laughs> right. actually before to be the way it really came about is they said, you should talk to this guy named Norm. They didn't even give me the context of who he was. And so I met him at a networking event and actually didn't realize he's Norm Nixon who played basketball for the Lakers, who is married oh. to Debbie Allen. They yeah, actually oh didn't even put that together. <laughs> and then he said, my wife, Debbie is going to call you. And I didn't, I honestly didn't know that he meant Debbie Allen. And so when the funny story is when she first called me on the phone, she said, I'm calling to speak to, and I think she said my name as Shernona or something like that. Yeah. And I said, you have the wrong number. Click. And oh, that's great. That's great. You big time Debbie Allen. That's awesome. <laughs> like you got the wrong number. And she called back and she said, I think I have the right number. Aren't you the woman that can help me with audits? You met my husband. And I said, I'm sorry, is this, you said Debbie Allen? 
that's kind of how it, it, it happened. I was just in a point in my career where I was like, I'll try something new. I hadn't been an operator. I hadn't had to think I'd been in big companies prior to that. I hadn't had to think about really operating an organization, being responsible for the PNL, being responsible for the people side of, of this, being responsible for all of the, you know, uh, insurance, legal, you name it. I hadn't been responsible for any of those things, but I thought what an amazing opportunity. And more, most importantly, she understood my personal issue, did not care if I brought my son with me to work and really didn't care what my hours were. And I needed that flexibility in my life at that time. I want to get to you and your son in a second, but something you said earlier about Debbie and what you learned from her on an operational side that you said led to true wealth. I want to kind of dig in on what you meant by that, what she taught you about being on the operational side of possibly, I'm assuming, the entertainment world and how that gets you to true wealth. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, because every I think I'm saying that everybody knows her from being in front of the camera. But the actually true wealth in that business is the people who are behind the camera, the people who are the producer, the executive producers, the directors. They actually own a part of the company. They own a part of the project. So everybody else is what we used to, we used to, we always called it was the for hire people. They may be famous. We all know them, but they have a contract and they are for hire. They get paid for doing it. And then when it's over, they walk away and anything else that comes from owning that property, they don't see a lot of them don't see any money from that. They don't, they don't own any intellectual property related to that. And she taught me yeah, no, you where where true wealth comes from, and it's certainly very applicable in like a startup context, is really from being an owner, not being a for hire person. You you often are for hire in terms of you know how you get into working on the project or working at the company, but your real wealth is gonna come from that ownership piece. Oh, that's great. So going back to your son and autism, another cool Shannon fact, and there's like 40,000 of them, I'm serious, um, was you were a filmmaker as well, speaking about being behind the camera and made a movie about autism called Color of My Mind that won 2013, I believe it was the American Pavilion in Cannes, which is unbelievable. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So another, again, things happen for a reason. So didn't realize at the time leaving Amgen, working from Debbie would immerse me into this wholly, wholly different, complete like world of film and, and TV production. And so I met, of course, a lot of people in that world and meeting a lot of people in that world. It, again, it was not like a dream for me to make a film. I'm not one of those people who went to, I went to school for accounting and law. Right. Like, right. Was, I know. It's I, amazing. was not creative. It was not a creative <laughs> like, track. Right. But once I was in that world and really kind of understood about how these projects come about and how they're made, I'm often the business person on these projects. I thought somebody should be doing this project. And so I went to a couple of places. I won't name them. They're very big organizations. And they were like, that's such a great idea that you want to do, but here's why we can't do it. And after kind of like getting all of those rejections, I said, okay, I can show these people better than I can tell them. I'm just going to do it. And I went, I had a friend 
two friends actually that started out with one happens to be LaDonna Hughley, who is the wife of comedian DL Hughley. We mm-hmm. were neighbors and we were friends. And so I kind of went to her and said, I think we should do something and here's what it is. And she was like, yeah, I'm on board. And what resources can I bring to the table? So I knew, okay, I might have something here. And then a really good friend of mine and our kids were in a lot of therapies together. So I got to know her really well as this woman by the name of Tammy McCrary. And she is uh, the singer Shaka Khan's sister. Right. And so... If we've learned anything so far, it's good to be your friend. That's what I'm learning. It's very good to be Shannon Nash's friend. But go, keep going. Uh, This is great. (laughs) Tammy was like, I'm on board and my sister will be on board. Like, she'll support us, whatever we need to do. And so from there, we, LaDonna really knew well this actress by the name of Tisha Campbell Martin, got her involved. We got one of LaDonna's friends named Donna Hunter involved. And we all came together and said, we want to make this project Because at the time, it's still an issue, but at the time, in particular in Black and Latino communities, the kids were not getting diagnosed at the same time. It was many years after their white counterparts. And why that's important is we knew, like science, uh, research had already shown that if you're going to make significant impacts in the lives of kids with autism, you need to get early detection, early diagnosis, early therapies. The earliest, the earlier, the better. So 18 months, two years old, like you need to get your kid diagnosed. And we were seeing is is that that wasn't happening in black and Latino communities for a whole host of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons was like lack of access, lack of knowledge, lack of discussing or knowing what to do. And I even share in the film in my own family um, and and I come from I consider myself to come from a fairly educated family. Like my father was a lawyer. Lots of people in my family have doctorates, et cetera. And I say that all to say that in my own family, when I was going through the diagnosis for my son, I was getting a lot of pushback from very educated people about this not being a thing. Why are you worried about this? Boys progress slower than girls. You should just wait it out. And I'm like, if I'm going through this, and these are supposedly people who have access to research and know better, what about somebody who doesn't have the access to be able to, like my son got diagnosed at John Hopkins. I had great healthcare. That's an amazing hospital with amazing doctors. What if you don't have that type of access? So we made the project to really bring about conversation and change in our communities. And then it blew up. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, which is which is amazing. And congratulations again that you won in cons. Do you think also, Shannon, that there's all, with autism. And I know, I don't have it in my immediate family, but I know family members, good friends, that there's also a sense of denial early on too. You don't really want to go down that path because you're opening up Pandora's box. And I'm sure that was touched a little bit on the film as well. Yeah, absolutely. You go through those signs or whatever the stages of grief, you a hundred percent go through them. I went through them like everybody else. I will say that, you know, in my own family, in my own household, my husband was pretty quick to accept it and want to do something. I was actually the one in the beginning who was like kind of fighting it. Like I didn't even want to go get the diagnosis because I thought as soon as they tell me this, then I'm going to have to like do something about it. And I am in denial right now and don't want to do anything about it, but I'm, I'm hurting like the progress for my, my child. And it t- it did, it wasn't quick for me. What I will say to you when I finally accepted it, then I kind of was told my, like, pushed my husband out the way and was like, move, like, I need to solve this. And so he was just like, all right, let me sit back and watch her because she's like a tornado now. And I share that in the film, like, 
it was hard. It's hard. And it was my first child. I have three kids now. And it's probably, probably different. It would, it was my last child, but I was a new mom. I was a young mom and it was very difficult to accept that this could be the fate. And also at the time, when you look at stories about people with autism, there wasn't a lot of hope. You saw like the film Rain Man, for example. And so it was just like, there is no future for this child if I get this diagnosis. That's kind of how you felt. It is completely different now. There's been so much that has so many organizations, so many role models that have come out that have autism, that are achieving, that are doing things. My son is living a life. He's 23 now. He's living a life that I could not have honestly dreamed of when he was three years old. Couldn't have dreamed that it was possible. That's fantastic. You know, you, this podcast, and I knew even before we started talking, Shannon, you're going to touch thousands of lives of listeners. What would you say to the listeners out there that maybe have that young child and they're teetering on, you know, should we, or should we not even explore if this is autism or not? What advice would you give that parent or parents? Oh, absolutely. I wish I could get, I mean, Wish I could get back the the year that I was like struggling with it. Absolutely go and get the testing and the diagnosis. The worst thing that could happen is that the child doesn't need any help. That's the worst thing that could happen in my opinion, because if they do need help, you've actually done what you needed to do. You've gotten them the diagnosis and now you're setting the stage to get them the help that they need so that they can have a pathway to having a meaningful, independent life. So that's what that's what's at stake here is you can't see it when they're two or three years old. It's hard for you to envision that when they're that young. But I lived it. And that's what we hope to do with the film is to show we had kids of various ages was to show that these are the kids that were at two were kind of written off. And now look at what they're able to do. That's the kind of hope we were trying to give with that film as well. No, that's great advice. So I'm, I'm going to embarrass you even more because 2017 oh, no. was another film, I believe, called Switching Lanes based off the book Double Sided by Raven Ma- Magwood, I believe. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that film? Because that was another impactful film f- for audiences. Yeah. So a really good friend of mine, uh, his name is Tommy Ford. He is now deceased. I'm so glad I got to work on that project with him. Tommy was an actor. He was on a TV sitcom in like the 90s called the um, Martin Lawrence Show. Oh, yeah. And the joke was in this TV show, it was like, Tommy doesn't have a job. And they'd always be like, you don't have a job, Tommy, whatever. So they always make a joke. But in real life, he was one of the hardest working, had the most jobs that I'd ever seen type of person. (laughs) And he kind of came with, you know, wanting to do this film written by this amazing young writer named Raven Magwood. And it was a book about really, and it was before its time in many respects, because now it's the type of thing we talk about a lot, given George Floyd, but it was talking about a small Southern town you had, and this is very, I've lived in the South, so this is very common. You have a black side of the town, you have a white side of the town. And when I say black side of town, you basically, basically it's black and everything else lives in that side of the town. And then there's a white side of town and there's mixing in common places. But for the most part, you go, you know, when they say, where's the most segregated place in the South? They're like church on Sunday. Very true. Like two different churches. Everybody's very religious, but you don't even go to the same church. Things are changing. But in any event, um, that's just kind of a very typical scenario. And it talked about how you had these two girls who grew up on different sides, wanted to be friends. 
it wasn't really um, encouraged for them to be friends because they live on different sides of the track. And it turns out that they were twins. And at birth, the grandfather decided that the town couldn't handle that his daughter had slept with this black guy, had these twins. One was white, one was black. The town wouldn't be able to handle handle that. So he came in and he took the twins away and basically gave them to two different families, one white family, one black family. And they were raised as just only children that were adopted. And anyway, in the show or in the movie, they wind up like competing. They they run the same, like uh, they both are, are runners and they run like the same, they do the same thing in their sport and they have to compete against each other. And people are noticing like, you guys are alike and there's a lot of similarities. And so they decide to hang out and becomes like a thing in the town. And anyway, they discovered that they were like, they were taken away at birth. Interestingly enough, there, there's a real, there's a couple of real stories of twins being born like this, not necessarily being adopted out, but being born when one twin is black and one twin is white between parents that are both, that are one's white, one's black. So it's not like it, that's impossible. It does happen, but that, and so the film ends because it has some amazing, we had a lot of amazing gospel performers performing the film. And so it ends where the town comes together at a, and the churches come together even, and they have like this amazing church picnic and they're singing and blah, blah, blah. And the towns decide that this is stupid. Why are we segregated? We should all, we're all the same here in the end. What I loved is um, I, I read a 2018 interview you did about that film. You said at the at the end of the day, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you said the film is about the fact that people need to talk. And I love that. I mean, you're talking about segregation, but at the end of the day, it really is about people just needing to talk. And I just, I wanted to quote your own quote because I just thought that was honestly so cool that you said that because you could look at this and say, oh, it's a black white film and it's about segregation. But the fact that people do need to talk is even more important today than ever, I think. Yeah, it was before George Floyd. It's so interesting. I was like, it's a little before it's time, but it's, but anyway, I'm just, I was proud of it. I'm proud that I got to work with Tommy before, you know, um, he died shortly thereafter. So it was really a bittersweet type of thing. And we had some amazing some of the performers, just that I was so fortunate to be on a set listening to that type of singing over and over again. It was, it was I'll never forget it. <laughs> I'm sure. It's incredible. And I mean, now, you know, sitting here, chief financial officer, do you ever dip your toe or, or try and get back in the entertainment industry? Or, or is there another film that we can announce on the Rami Zaid show? Yeah. Coming up? <laughs> no films, no okay, films. My, my current role definitely has me very busy. I'm I think sure. that, I mean, I, this is going back to the Debbie Allen part of, of my life. I suspect that, you know, when I near closer to retirement, I could see myself investing as an executive producer in more film projects. Cause ultimately I want to, I, you know, I loved being the behind the scenes person on film and TV. I'm not the, in front of the camera person, which interestingly enough, I know you did your research, believe it or not, there is a cameo of me in that film. They needed a lawyer in the film and they were like, why do we need to cast anybody? She can do. She and you can do that. that <laughs> who, who in the room has a law degree? And you raise your hand and say, "You're the lawyer." Okay. No, I'm cowering in the back, like, "Oh, I hope they don't see me." But they all knew it, and so I have a little bit of a part where I come in with the one of the moms who was being uh, investigated for taking the child at birth, and I'm representing her, whatever. But I can see myself doing more 
behind the dean stuff, really probably just investing in those projects. That I could see myself doing that in retirement for sure. That's awesome. Shannon, with each and every interview I do, I ask executives like yourself how they start their day. And that's actually for, for all the listener feedback I get, that's the most positive I get is that people love hearing how executives like you start your day. Some are extremely organized. Some are a hot mess. Some are in between. And would love to hear if you have any routines, habits in the morning and how you start your I day. I do. I mean, I am an accountant and lawyer. If anybody is a checklist routine person, that is me. I feel very fortunate to live in the Bay Area. I feel very fortunate to live where I live. I say that because every morning I get up, I look out my window. I have a really pretty view. And I actually, for me, it is, it is a, it is a prayer and a meditation. So I do that first. And it is, it is really mostly about just being thankful for the fact that I woke up my blessings. It's like, just, I just have to clear my head. So whatever's going wrong before I pick up the phone, cause that's next to look at those emails. I want to like ground myself as I'm very blessed and thankful. And I'm, I'm praying and, and, and acknowledging that. And when you do this, Shannon, is this, is this you walking around the house? Are you outside or is there music playing guys? What does this meditation look nope, like? This you? is just kind of right in my room, yep. right at the window. Just okay. me. It's super quick. It's kind of like, yep. just get up, do it. Okay. Now I'm grounded. Now I pick up my phone. I do. I pick up the phone and I look through the emails because that tells me just kind of, it sets the tone for like what I think I'm going to, to do. Did some, I mean, we, we operate on many time zones. We're a global company. Sure. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff that could have been sent to me while I was asleep. So it just kind of grounds me for like the day. I don't normally respond to any of those emails or anything like that. I just look to see like, what kind of morning am I going to, going to have? I know I already have meetings, but is there things that are going to derail that? Yes or no. Then if I'm lucky, this doesn't happen every day. I wish it did. But then if I'm lucky, the next thing I try to do for 30 minutes is we have like a pathway by the house. It is a 30 minute pathway. I try to go out there. A lot of times my husband comes and the dog. Sometimes they don't. And I try to just get that 30 minutes in. That's 30 minutes of me just doing some physical activity to get my brain like ready and going. And so like I did it this morning, for example, and it just helps to ground the day for me. And that's the routine. And then I'm straight to I mean, we work from home, as you know. So I'm straight to work. After that, I'm down in the in the little cubby I have in my formal living room, which is now my office. <laughs> right. And I'm on the three screens and I'm like, let's go. You mentioned the loop. And I, I also want to bring up the fact that you're also a, a Zumba and I think UJAM instructor as well. So you, you have to fit that in if you're an instructor. When, when is that coming in? So I don't. So here's the thing. Mostly that's weekends or like if I can catch a class on a weeknight, I sadly cannot teach a class. I cannot fit a class to teach in my schedule. So what I do to stay up on the newest routines, because it is a whole bunch of choreography and routines that you need to know as an instructor. There's about two or three classes not that are offered not far from my house. And I tend to go to those, especially the ones on Saturdays and Sundays. I can usually fit those in. Um, I try not to miss those. So I'm still keeping up on just the classes and the the newest and the latest um, routines to whatever songs, yeah. which my kids cannot stand, by the way, because <laughs> I will know some I will know some of the latest dances. 
I will I know it. some very popular music. And so if it's if I'm out with the kids somewhere, we're at the supermarket or whatever, yeah. and that song comes on, I might just like break into the dance and they're just like, oh my God. Can oh, no. she stop? They hate it. And it makes me do it even more. Of course. Now, I'm not a dancer by any means, but I know Zumba is more like Colombian background. It's, Latin, I it's, 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 Latin, Latin. it's more Latin music. Yep. And U-Jam is, I think, the same type of workout, but more 90s hip hop. Am I wrong on that? It's like it's it's um, we call it world beats, but it okay. will have 90s hip hop from it'll have very current songs. So we'll we'll do a Justin Bieber song or whatever. Bieber it fever. Have, love it. Like, yep. yeah, we have a really good Bieber song. Um, we'll have, like I said, so there'll be some Latin music. We have Indian music. We have a real, oh, I love one of our Indians. Like, I love it to death. So we, we, we do a lot of different type of music and different dance styles, but it's more, um, UJAM is now merged with a world of, a world of dance, which is on TV. Yeah. So our okay. choreo comes from the world of dance instructors. So it's, it's a higher level of just um, choreography. And so, I, you know, I, I moved out to California and was like, I need to challenge myself and do something even just a little more of an intense workout, if you will. So that's that's who I am on the weekends, if I can get it in. <laughs> I love it, Shannon. I want to get back to your career. So we've covered Zumba, UGM fitness instructor, tax, attorney, entertainment, working for Debbie Allen. I want to jump to what I believe was, and correct me if I'm wrong, your first CFO job at Sunseeker Media. How did they find you or vice versa? Because at that point, you have had this, I mean, almost like Forrest Gump career of doing all these different things at this point. How did how did you land there at your first CFO job? Yeah, I was already working in the entertainment business. And in particular, at that point, we were living in Atlanta. And in particular, it, Georgia had and still has these amazing film tax incentives and a big part of it. So they're trying to, you know, get more business into the state. And so a big part of that is this, this tax incentive and to get the tax incentive, which basically means that you, if you're doing this production in the state and you qualify for all these different rules, you can basically sell to an investor, these tax credits that they can use on their Georgia tax return. So get the, you know, they can buy a credit for a dollar and it's worth like $1.50, I'm making it up in terms of credit or, or whatever. And so there's a whole mechanism to do all of that. You've got to be able to prove your spin was in Georgia. Bottom line is the back office type of people who need to be able to, to prove these things, that's what I do. And so I got known for being somebody who could like help you do these things for these really big film projects. And so Sunseeker had a couple of, of, of shows that they um, had been hired to do for networks. And I met the the CEO and he was like, can you come in here and help me with these slate of projects? And it was just right up my alley. And he was like, but I need you to do all of the things that are back office so that we can qualify, which is finance, it's legal, it's everything to be able to to do that. And then it just led into me helping him raise money. And we were doing the, the, the various projects, putting together how we would actually the cost reports and the, the budgets and the forecast, how we would actually make these projects profitable. And so that's kind of how, and then I had to hire a whole bunch of people. And that was like my first time really having to like scale something up, deal with investors, and then really just be, you know, on point in terms of being an operator. 
from there, I know that you had a few different operation accounting roles, and then now sitting here today as chief financial officer of reputation.com, which was a recent promotion before uh, you were the chief accounting officer. And I'm embarrassing you again. You recently won, I believe it was one of the 100 most influential people in accounting uh, by accounting today. So congratulations on that. But could you tell the audience a little bit about reputation.com and what they do? Yeah. So reputation.com, it's very interesting in that it's been around for a while. And I think there's, there's the current state of the business. And then there's the, there's the confusion about what the business is, which is a different business. And so what people think about a lot of times when I'm talking to people, when I say reputation.com, they're like, Oh, I've seen the commercials. You helped me defend my reputation on the internet. And I'm like, that actually is a different business. It's called rep defender. (laughs) That's not what we do, but that is kind of how the business started. Think about reputation.com as, you know, the company and it's a platform play that allows, you know, business clients to kind of come in and manage their reputation, their reputation from the standpoint of what I call the the structured type of um, feedback that they get from their customers. Think surveys to the unstructured type of feedback that they get that they didn't ask their customers for. And that could be posted on, you name it, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. And we take all of that and we put that into a platform that allows you to then have insights as a company, see how you stack against your competitors. We allow you to have actionable steps that you can take to improve your reputation and your feedback with your customer. We really are that engine that helps you through your whole customer experience journey. We have a reputation score that you can use um, and lots of companies do use in terms of helping to incentivize their own employees. And it's all in one platform. And I think that's what makes us unique because there's different pieces of this done by different companies but not all in one platform. And if you are running, you know, the customer experience journey for your your company, having this all in one place and allowing you to to use it to better retain your customers and to better grow your customers, that's actually gold right there. That like as and if you think about it from a CFO's standpoint, that whole customer retention metric is super valuable. It's more valuable than, you know, putting the same amount of energy into just cutting your cost, for example. I think Gartner said recently in one of their their surveys that, you know, if you can if you you saving two like two percent of I think it's called your 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 customer net retention is like you cutting 10% of your costs. Where would you rather spend your time? <laughs> right, right. Saving those wow. costs. This is going to be a really interesting question for you, Shannon, just given your diverse background, career background up to this point. But do you look back, is there a tipping point or moment in your career that you could say, yes, I made the right decision at this point and this is what got me here or a person for that matter that you can attribute, you know, a lot of the diversity uh, of your work, your network up to this point? Definitely mentors. I think I've been very lucky to have mentors and I, and I'm trying to do that for other people early on my career as kind of an accountant and a lawyer. There was a gentleman by the name of Larry Bailey. I still talk to him to this day. I still talk to all my mentors to this day, Debbie as well. Larry was one of the first African-American, African-American partners at one of the, at the time I think was big 10 accounting firms. So just a real trailblazer in his career. And met him early on in my career. And he just became that mentor for me that not only 
tried to help guide my career, but was that that person that was pushing me to try different things, pushing me, encouraging me, telling me it's okay if you fail, this is how you can recover, and really just modeling a lot of that for me. And so, you know, every time to this day, every time I'm considering a career move or I want to do something different, I call Larry on the phone and we talk about it and we go through the pros and the cons and and then I kind of go from there. But I, I feel very fortunate to have somebody like that um, having been a part of my career. I've already mentioned Debbie, I think also has been an amazing, amazing mentor for me and has helped me really. She's helped. Debbie is the type of person that helps you develop that confidence to be a leader. I think I learned a lot on leadership skills um, from her and how she was able to really command um, not only like people working for her, but investors, everybody, how she was really able to to do that um, as a leader. So I feel like I've learned a lot from her as well. I think those help. Those are because here's the thing in the whole CFO journey to me, there's a lot of technical skills that you just have to have. Got it. It's that it's those soft skills, those other those other skills that you you're never going to be taught in a school or in a book or anywhere. It's those skills that you know you have to develop, and it's that understanding that corporate culture and that communication style. That's what I feel like my mentors have helped me with the most. And I think when I think about people on my team or people that I've mentored and that I'm trying to help right now, I'm I'm pushing them on that. What I've seen in my career for certain people that I think are just unbelievably smart and super capable is that why they have a hard time making that that shift from let's say VP level to the next seat to the C suite. Why they have that problem? It's the it's the soft skills that's killing them. It's not the technical stuff. Not really a soft skill per se, but I'm going to segue best I can in that something I know you've been very passionate about is diversity. And I want to say, especially in the last 12 to 18 months, the world has been in with COVID and you mentioned uh, uh, Floyd as well. I mean, there's a list goes on, on and on. I would love both personal and business or whichever one you'd like to pick to talk about diversity today and what that means to you. It's very important to me. I think that, so when COVID and George Floyd hit, I mean, I think that a lot of us had time to do a lot of just, just to really think about what's been going on, what's wrong, what's right in a way that, that I can say, I just hadn't done in a long time. And so what that meant is what are we going to do about the fact that, you know, there's a diversity problem. I don't, I, I can't continue to hope that the right thing will just happen. So we have to do something that started with doing things like organizations like the National Society of, of Black CPAs. Um, I helped found that. That's how I got more involved with the National Black Accounting Organization, got more involved with the Cal CPA. Reason why is because at this point in my career, I do need to give back more. I just do. And I know that there's all these excuses about time commitments and things of that nature. But if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? And I also take some responsibility for doing it. It's not other people, like everybody needs to have that responsibility for doing something. When I talk about it on panels, I, I, I often ask folks, how diverse is your, your network? It starts with just basically having access to networks because so many of these opportunities come from you being in somebody's network. 
again, not being technical, not having gone to this school, none of those things actually matter if you're not in the network when the opportunity comes available. It just doesn't. People don't just find you because you're smart and you're like, you sent something on Indeed. I don't know. That doesn't work in that way, especially at this this level. And so I started really, in a way, challenging folks that I probably normally wouldn't have said in open forums about, please explain to me just how you are personally um, taking some type of ownership for diversity. And if you aren't, just tell me that. So, so I'm clear and we can, we can move on from, from there. And what I found is that some people have been very open to, I need to diversify my network. Can you help me? Other people have diverse networks and maybe just haven't been engaging them. And so that has been thought provoking and, and helped in that regard. And then I think that others are realizing that the net, there are people in the network and they just need to be given opportunities. I think that there's been several CEOs that have come out and said the issue with diversity is there's just not enough people. And they have had a lot of issues with those comments because then you go and you say, dear so-and-so, you say there's not enough people. Here's 30 people that I just found on LinkedIn right here who meet every criteria for that job that you just you just talked about. And they're all diverse. They're women, they're minorities, they're whatever. And so I think that I do see some changes happening there. We have a lot more work to do, but it starts with, I think, opening up those networks. The other part about this is getting, like I look at my own kids, I have a high schooler, getting kids to go into certain career paths. It does start with, you do have to be working that pipeline as well. And so those are things that, you know, I'm personally committed to do. Also see myself doing in retirement, like continuing to spend time on that. Because if I don't do it, who will? Like, I feel like everybody should have that attitude. It's not somebody else's problem. It's my problem. And thank you for that. I will say I cannot see you retiring. <laughs> There's no, you have way too many things going on to actually hang up the cleats. There's no way, Shannon, I see that happening. Shannon, I do want to say for all my guests, I like to wrap up shows with a bunch of fun kind of rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, I'll let them rip. Let's go. Okay. The first one is, I love asking this to chief financial officers. Um, and this is a personal question, but what is one thing as a CFO um, and a CFO mom as well? What is one thing you do not mind spending money on? Okay, I hate to say it because it's going to sound <laughs> come across really bad. No, I love it. But I love champagne. Like I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's a good one. Is there I'm a certain not... bottle? Is there a certain bottle that you're like? I, oh, I, I, so I, in particular, love Krug like a lot. Oh yeah. Okay. And so it's not that I drink it every day or anything like yeah. that. <laughs> not for breakfast, or anything. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, I guess. No, yeah. No. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm just a person who's not going to like, if I'm going to indulge, if we're out and, you know, somebody orders a nice bottle of wine, I'm going to order a nice bottle of champagne. Like, I'm not going to skimp on that because that's just the one thing that I was like, I'll spend money. I won't do cheap champagne. Like, I just won't. I love it. No, that's a great answer. Okay. My next one is, uh, I call it my walk-up song. So in, in Major League Baseball, a player walks up you know, to the plate with a bat on his shoulders, right? And there's a, usually a song playing. And we talked about your teaching and your music. Uh, would love to know what song would be playing for Shannon Nash as she walks up to the plate with a bat. 
I think this is hilarious because so my finance team, we have a, Slack, a finance Slack channel. And in that Slack channel, we start we started during COVID. We started doing this. We have we do um, themes and we do songs every week. And then we we share the songs and we play them on. Um, oh, my gosh. What is that app that we use? We use an app to um, to play the, the songs. And so everybody kind of picks what their songs are. So that was actually a theme for a week when baseball started like a couple months ago. That was a theme. And everybody kind of put out their music. Um, and I had several songs on the list. But I will tell you a song that I just that I play in my head um, all the time is, do you know that song? All I do is win no matter what. Oh, yeah, of course. That's my that's that's yeah. my that's my like, like, that's my hype yeah. song. Yeah, like that just gets me going. All oh, I yeah. Do is win, 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 no matter anyway. what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. That's a good one. Uh, all right. Next one. If you were given a free 60 second ad during a Super Bowl, which is the biggest audience in the globe in one day, right? You have a free 60 second advertisement. What would you say? Well, that's a hard one. I'd want to, Mm because you just said, I got a lot of things going on in in my life. I think that, but honest to you, what's near and dear to my heart, that ad would would be about showing, um, it would be a diversity ad, I don't tell you now. And it would be about showing people doing things and then putting under their names, like what they, like it'll show them like looking normal, maybe pushing like a baby cart or whatever, doesn't matter. And then under their name, it would, it would show like what they do and show like the bad, you know what, that they are. Mm-hmm. And it would show that we need to break down. We need to talk, break down those barriers and stop assuming people aren't capable. Everybody is capable of pretty much anything, depending on what they put their minds to. We can't limit what people can do. And I think it would be helpful for divert for kids or of color, et cetera, women to see it like when they're young. But I also think, Rami, it's very important for people who are, you know, not minorities to see, to also normalize like, yeah, that's what a CEO looks like. Yeah. That's what an engineer looks like. I think it just needs to be normalized. And so that's what would be my vision for the creative vision for what that commercial would do. I love it. I love it. Okay. If you were stranded on an island and could pick any celebrity dead or alive to be on that island with you who is on that island it's so hard okay (laughs) it's so hard it's so hard i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna cheat because you said dead or alive and it's two people my husband my husband knows i'm gaga over both of them and i've actually had the chance i'm not saying they're my besties i've actually (laughs) met both (laughs) okay but i love them and when I say met, I mean loosely, like I was around the greatness, but yeah, I didn't talk to him because I was too scared. I am completely fascinated by Prince on so oh, many levels. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. Many. That's a great one. Like, like it was when, when he passed, my husband literally called me at work and was like, do you need me to come pick you up? Like, I don't <laughs> know if you're going to be able to drive home because I was distraught. Like, you, like, literally, you would think that I knew him. He was my best friend. At the time, my assistant was like, yeah, she was like, who is this man, Prince? And I was like, get out of my office. Oh, my gosh. What do you mean? Who is this man, Prince? Like, she didn't oh know. Gosh. Like, oh, my I'm gosh. So How do you upset. not know that? She didn't know. And then she came back like an hour later. She's like, oh, yeah, he's the Purple Rain guy. And I was like, get out of my office. He's not a purple rain guy. He is everything to me. He is everything. I'm going to interrupt you before you say your second one because I have a good print story. So this was 
I mean, this was a few months, I think, before he passed. I, I can't remember the time frame, but I'm at a Golden State Warriors game. And we're halfway through the first quarter, and all of a sudden Prince is walking to his seat, you know, courtside. I mean, he's right center. They stop the game in the middle of the game. So the entire crowd, I am not kidding, the entire crowd, at Warriors, at Oracle Arena, and the players are giving Prince a standing ovation to walk to his seat. And I was like, there is no one else. I don't think anyone else could command something like this to stop the game. It's crazy. Nobody was like him. I, I sat behind him in an award show once, and I was with a friend of mine who's like a R&B singer, and I was like, I don't know if I can breathe. And my friend was like, <laughs> okay, my friend's like, I'm famous, and you don't do that when you see me, and yet you're like freaking out on Prince. And I was like, like, no, he's Prince. I'm like taking little pictures. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love it. Okay, his, so there's another one though. Um, and this one may, is just for, it's just me and I just love him. He's the cool, he's a cool, cool guy. And I just would love to be around him because I just think having conversation with him would be fascinating. Actor by the name of Don Cheadle. He is just, oh, he's fantastic. So, cool he's so cool and i met him through the debbie allen thing his daughter was coming to like some of her stuff and like i actually was in an i was coming out of the hallway he was coming in the hallway and we literally bumped into each other and he was super cool and he was like hey what's up how you doing blah 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 and i was just like okay don Cheadle is just cool like i just want to hang out with him he's so cool i you know there there are so many movies we could probably have another show just on the movies he's done my kids love him for all the adventure stuff that he's been doing. I mean, I think one of the best roles he's ever had that underrated was in uh, Ocean's Eleven. Oh, amazing. He was fantastic. And he was just like a side role. But there's, I mean, the list goes on and on and on with him. That's Those are two great answers. That would <laughs> be for that. me. I know people say Obama and all that. And I and I love him. Do not get me wrong. But if you, like, where, who I really think, like, would just get the juices flowing conversationally, um, it would probably, it would be Don. Love it. All right. Great answer. Okay. Uh, next one. I'm a quote geek. I love quotes. Is there a quote or quote quotes in plural that has stuck with you throughout your life or in the present day that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I do have one go-to quote. I've said it a couple times. I, I believe in it. it. It definitely empowers me. And it goes like this. A bird sitting on a branch is never afraid of breaking that branch because her trust is not in the branch, but in her God-given talent. Always bet on yourself. Oh, that's a good one. That's really good. I, do you know who said that? Or is that just something that stuck yeah, with you? That's a I, good one. I feel like it's been said by a lot of people. Yeah, that's <laughs> just a confidence it. quote. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really good. Okay, la- last one for you here, Shannon. This is called the ultimate dinner. And by that, there's no consequences tomorrow on this dinner. So this can be whatever is on the plate or plates in front of you. This could be at home, out, and whatever's in that glass. I'm assuming it's a good bottle of champagne. But what is your ultimate dinner? Yeah, I like food. I like food a lot. So there would be a starting course that would probably have some type of seafood with caviar sprinkled on top of it. Mm -hmm. That would probably Mm -hmm. be like how I would start the course. In terms of like, my main dish, don't do as much red meat or things of that nature. So I would probably go with, it's, it's, 
it's either going to be some type of like lobster tail type of dish uh, yeah. or from a comfort standpoint that if it like, again, cause sometimes you go comfort food with this. My husband grew up in New Orleans and makes the best jambalaya ever. And it is just, <laughs> it is just home. Like it's just every oh, time you're good. like, Oh, it's home. That's good. And I'm sure he's dumping everything in that jambalaya, right? Like, so, oh, yeah. Oh, the, the, the sausage is, is so good. It's just oh, ridiculously yum. amazing. Oh. And then on the dessert side, because I do like to have have my my sweets, my mother-in-law uh, came up with this recipe. And then luckily, one of my kids likes to bake. And it's this, it's this cookie that is, it's a coconut cherry infused cookie with a Hershey's Kiss in the center. And it is like, it's just, you could eat like 80 of them and it would be like 20,000 calories. Like you could just keep eating them. Cause I, when he makes it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to work out for like five days straight because I can't stop eating them. But it has been, it is really like my favorite, like dessert. It's a homemade dessert. Oh, it sounds so good. I just, I love it. And I'm assuming it's champagne then at the side, since you've yes. already mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> no I've, had, I've had champagne throughout yeah. each course. Yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Shannon, this has been so much fun. I am so glad we had this conversation. I knew it was going to be a blast. I knew you were going to touch thousands of lives and you, you for sure will. Is there anything you want to leave the, the listeners with before we, we part ways? I just, I appreciate you doing this. I guess I listened to a couple of your shows. I'm so happy that you're doing this. They're very entertaining. I hope that, you know, for me, if just one person is inspired that is going through something in their career and they think that this is over, they're whatever they dreamed of doing, they're not doing and that they've just failed. If one person listening to this can hear from me, stop that. Like you're going to go through all kinds of different, you know, forks in the road and it's not going to seem perfect, but all you can do is continue to believe in yourself, be prepared for that next opportunity. That's all you can do and do your best and everything else. Like who cares about what other people think is irrelevant. We got, this is a long life that you're living. And so you're, you're not, you know, you could try your baseball analogies or whatever in terms of being in different innings. Like don't treat this like it's the ninth inning. It's nine innings, right? Like it's the yeah, it's, it's nine. It's nine. You're right. My sport, my sport is football, but I was going to go with baseball. Uh, yeah, all right. It's not the ninth <laughs> inning. Um, so if they can, I mean, I feel like my career has been a complete example of that. That you just have to keep. There are going to be family things that m- mean you have to do different things in your life, and that's okay. It's okay. I love it. Thanks so much for your time and inspiration, Shannon. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Shannon Nash. You can find Shannon on LinkedIn, as well as her current company, Reputation.com. And that website is, you guessed it, www.reputation.com. And you can find me at my website, RamiZaid.com. That's R-O-M-Y-Z-E-I-D.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and I hope you all learned something interesting.